My name is Bob Hartline. The scripture passage today comes from the New Testament book of Luke. I'll be reading from chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom, the God, with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's sing, see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened. And what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Bob. May 17th, 2017 was a pretty significant day in the life of the Rivaldi home because Morgan and I woke up early that morning in Ronald McDonald House of Eastern Wisconsin and um, Morgan was scheduled that day to deliver our second child and we liked the surprise so we didn't find out if we were having a boy or a girl ahead of time and later that afternoon uh, 1 p.m. in the afternoon, Morgan gave birth to Colin Thomas Verveldi, uh, six pounds, six ounces, and a bunch of other stats that women like. Um, so we, uh, <laughs> you know, so then uh, that afternoon we had the pleasure of getting to announce it to everybody and getting to send out the text to family members and friends, and you know, now we live in a world where you get the excitement of posting on social media and posting pictures and and everybody sort of shares in that birth announcement. And then that afternoon, we uh, had the normal carousel of visitors that you would have after having a newborn baby. Because uh, Colin's older sister, Bryn, got to visit uh, her newborn brother for the very first time in the NICU. And, and then later on, Morgan's parents, John and Gwen, got to visit their newborn grandson. Um, we had the pleasure of being the... Uh, both of us, both Morgan and I, both made our parents grandparents and then, you know, uh, blessed our grandparents with their first grandson. So, so we're just ruining it at all for our siblings. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, the, and then uh, my parents, Bill and Julie, got to visit their newborn grandson. And, and then uh, several days later, kind of as the days went by, um, the aunts filtered in. So this one uh, uh, on the left is, is Morgan's sister and on the right is my sister. And then we were even super blessed because... 
Um, Morgan's sister in this next slide on the left is from the Twin Cities, and she came down, and then my sister on the right lives in Nebraska, and so she came over too and um, visited us in the NICU. So I say all this because um, we had a pretty normal birth and visitors. When it comes to the birth of Colin, I feel like our visitors were pretty normal. I mean, you announce to the family first, and you tell them everything everybody wants to know about the child. And, and then when our parents showed up later that afternoon, and when Bryn showed up to see her younger brother that afternoon, I feel like that's pretty normal. That's pretty within expectations. And, the, and that the first people that would show up would be uh, family members. I feel like that's pretty, pretty like, like normal that you would expect, right? So I tell you that normal visitation, normal birth announcement, normal birth story, and I want you to contrast our normal visitation story with this not normal visitation of Jesus video, all right? So the visitors in this video are not normal visitors of Jesus. So go ahead and roll that. Oh, I'm glad you love that video. Oh, yeah, it's marvelous. It's absolutely marvelous. Who's seen that one before? Has anyone in here seen that? I love it. It's like, it's like a must-see at Christmas time. Um, because what's, I mean, what's so funny about it is, obviously, you know, those are just the misplacement of all those visitors to Jesus' uh, uh, crib side, right? It's like, you know, there was no dinosaur, obviously, and there were no military troops, and there was no... Uh, Dalek or Dalek or whatever you call that thing from Doctor Who. And, you know, there was none of that stuff. And there was no semi to come pick up the sheep. All that makes it so funny. Because, like, no, none of those visitors actually came to Jesus. But what's interesting is when you look a little bit closer at the Christmas story, the visitors that first came to Jesus really don't make a whole lot of sense. Again, I think we're so familiar with the Christmas story that it's often easy for us to kind of forget. Wait, what? Shepherds are the first visitors to baby Jesus? Not even family members? I mean, I just told you that we had a pretty normal visitor carousel to Colin's birth, and they were all family members, which makes total sense. But none of the first visitors to Jesus are family members. They're shepherds. That's weird. It's weird, and it's strange, and it's off script, and it's upside down, and it's unexpected when you take a moment to think, baby Messiah and a bunch of shepherds are the first visitors to the baby Jesus. Doesn't make any sense. Well, that night that Jesus was born, there were these shepherds who who were in a spot that you would normally find shepherds in. They were outside of the town, and they were in the fields, and they were watching their sheep. It's like, yeah, okay, that's pretty normal. That's where I would expect to find shepherds. When all of a sudden, they're just minding their own business on the hillside, and it's this peaceful night when all of a sudden, if you can imagine, the sky is just split with this ray of light. And if you were one of those shepherds who was interrupted by this incredible, you know, explosion in the sky, you would be pretty afraid too. And these shepherds are terrified at this explosion that's happened in the sky. And an angel appears in that explosion, and the angel says, don't worry, which is really kind of the angel, because I'd be pretty freaked out if I were them too. And the angel says, you know, don't be afraid. And the angel says, I bring you this incredible news that the Messiah has been born. And he's in the town, and you're going to find him in a manger. And then these angels join with that 
angel and they sing all these praises to the Lord. And when the angels are done singing their songs, the shepherds say to one another, yeah, this is awesome. We got to go check this out. This beats what we were doing just a few moments ago. Let's get into town and let's go see this incredible thing that has happened. All right. And so that in and of itself is just an incredible, incredible story. But you need to look even a little bit closer at who shepherds were in the day. It's already weird that shepherds would be the first visitors of the baby Jesus. But it's even weirder when you understand who shepherds were in the time of Jesus. Among the occupations, shepherding had a lowly place. Shepherds were considered untrustworthy and their work made them ceremonially unclean. That is not a very glowing caricature of shepherds in Jesus' day. I'm reading words like lowly, and I'm reading words like untrustworthy, and I'm reading words like unclean, or dirty, or shady, or maybe even sinister, gross, weird, awkward, strange. All these words describe who shepherds were in that day. When I was doing youth ministry at FPO, we would bring the kids out to Compton, California, every other year for a mission trip to City Church of Compton, this church that we had a relationship with. And, and uh, I don't know why I thought this was a good idea. In hindsight, it's almost laughable. But we would, as one of our, on, uh, in one of the evenings of the week that we were there, we would bring the kids to Hollywood Boulevard, which is just really laughable to think about bringing a bunch of high school students to Hollywood Boulevard. And if you ever want your bubble bursted, like if you want to take this pristine West Coast image that they try to paint with all the glitz and glamour of Hollywood, and if you just want that bubble just burst, go to Hollywood Boulevard. Because Hollywood Boulevard is dirty and disgusting and gross. And now, somehow, I got stuck with the freshman girls, which now in hindsight I don't think was unintentional. I think they purposely engineered it that way. And so now I'm with freshman girls on Hollywood Boulevard. And when I say freshman girls, I mean freshmen who will start their freshman year the following fall. So these are students who are a month and a half out of eighth grade. So I'm with these freshman girls on Hollywood Boulevard, and I felt like a shepherd because I'm trying to herd these sheep. And Hollywood Boulevard is just, uh, it is a walk or a lane of distraction. Okay? It's dirty and it's disgusting and everything is designed to get your attention. And I'm just trying to herd these girls through the gauntlet of distractions to get to the destination that we want to go to. Like we decide, okay, we want to go to Chinese theater and we want to see the handprints in the stone. And so let's get there. So I'm trying to herd them this way, but there's just distraction after distraction after distraction. And one of those distractions were these characters, And you had these people who would dress up like a movie character. Many of them were superheroes. And it was not all that uncommon, or I saw this in real life. Like, put that picture up there of Spider-Man, Ben. So I saw, I didn't see this picture, but I saw this happen in real life, that one of these characters would get arrested and would be in handcuffs and put up against a police car. And these characters, when you looked at their costumes, I mean, they were... They looked like they were cobbled together pajamas. You know, like some adult had went like thrift store shopping or pajama shopping and like cut something into the way that would kind of look like the character and found a mask at a Halloween costume store. And I mean, it was, it was pretty shabby. And 
the, and then when you looked at their costumes too, it's like the dirt of Hollywood Boulevard just collected on their costume. The costume was super dirty, probably because they could never wash it, because if they washed it, I'm assuming it would fall apart. Maybe, and, and they were just dirty, shady characters. And they would, I remember seeing a Spider-Man get arrested by the police. And I found out that these people were being arrested because they would run rackets on people. So the idea would be, you know, oh, this character, oh, get a, kid, a picture with your kids, you know, and then it's like, now I want $40 or something like that. Or even worse, what they would do is they would have a band of people, the character would have a buddy in street clothes so that while you, you're taking the picture with the character, his accomplice in street clothes would come and pick your pocket. Right, And they would steal from you while you're posing for that picture. And that's why they're getting arrested by the police. And so these are shady characters that I did not want my freshman girls to have anything to do with. So they would, you know, it was like, it was sort of like shiny object. And they'd start kind of almost like zombies, like wandering toward the character. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, get over here. We don't, we don't want anything to do with them. Like, we got to get to the Chinese theater. Like, let's go. And I'm shepherding them. Right. And I, I tell you all this because I feel like the dirty, shady nature of these characters on Hollywood Boulevard is not that unlike the dirty, shady nature of shepherds in Jesus' day. The shepherds in Jesus' day were like these characters on Hollywood Boulevard. We want nothing to do with them. I could imagine the parents of kids in Jesus' day kind of, you know, guiding their kids away from those shepherds. Like, yeah, you don't want anything to do with that guy. Like, come over here. We don't want to be near him. You don't want want to talk to those guys. I have a buddy. His name is Joey Richoff, and this is him with his wife, Leanne. Joey right now is a pastor in St. Paul, and he pastors a church that's not unlike our church. They meet in a building in a park and kind of a cool thing, and they're relatively new as well. But before he was a pastor, and when we both were living in Fond du Lac, which is when I met him, um, he was a cow breeder and an inseminator, an artificial inseminator of cows. And his job was featured on Mike Rowe's Dirty Jobs. And one day I had the opportunity to ride along with Joey on his job. And so Joey's SUV that he used for work was absolutely disgusting inside because he visited these farms all day long and he was in and out of his car in these farms. And I remember in the morning I showed up in my work clothes and I had my shoes on that I used for mowing. And he looked at my tennis shoes and he's like, oh no. And he hands me these pairs of rubber boots and I put on these rubber boots and they come up to my knees. And I was really thankful for that pair of rubber boots because when we got to the farms, you're walking through cow manure that's inches thick. And I'm like, yeah, my shoes would have never survived. I would have had poop all over my feet all day long if I didn't have those boots. So I was really thankful for those boots. So Joey would drive to these different farms and he would spend a lot of his day on the road driving to farm, from farm to farm. And we'd get to a farm and he would uh, have a, the cows that he had to inseminate. And so we would walk the pens finding the cows that he would have to inseminate. And when he, found, when he located the cow within the pen, he would get out a plastic glove and he'd put the glove on and go all the way up to his shoulder. And then he would insert his arm into the rear of the cow. And I remember he told me what he did with his hand inside of the cow, but my brain did not want to retain that information because <laughs> it was so gross. All right. And I'm just like, oh, I don't even want to, you know, think about what you're doing in there. And he would make a joke that in the wintertime he stayed warm because half his body was in a cow all day long, you know? So he had this absolutely disgusting, gross, terribly horrible job, you know, that nobody wanted to do. And as a quick aside, he told me that sometimes they would get these prison inmates that would work alongside them, kind of like a chain gang sort of a deal. And so they would have to train the prison inmates how to do what they did. 
And so what they would do, and they, this is how they would mess with these inmates, is they would go in gloveless. And they'd say, and now you insert your arm into the back of the cow. And those prisoners would go, whoa, oh, like, isn't there some sort of glove for that? You know, and they're like, no, you just got to go in. And, and to them, who really cares, right? I mean, they spend all their day with their arms up cows. So to them, it's like probably not that big of a deal, right? And those prisoners are just freaking out, you know. And meanwhile, they have gloves in the bag, and they just didn't tell them about it. It was absolutely hilarious. So, <laughs> so it, he, Joey had this disgusting dirty job that nobody wanted to do. All right. It was, it was just, it was loathsome and gross. And I tell you all that because similarly, shepherding was one of these low class, disgusting, gross jobs that nobody would have ever wanted to do. It was dirty and it was gross. And it was like, ugh, I just want nothing to do with that. And all of this adds up to people who are social outcasts, Shepherds have a job that's dirty and gross and nobody wants to do it. And there are these shady characters on Hollywood Boulevard who will do what it takes to make an extra buck. And they're grimy and they're socially awkward and they spend most of their time not with people in the town, but outside of the town, maybe with other shepherds, but mostly with sheep. They're a bunch of weirdos that no one wants anything to do with. And all this adds up to the gospel of Jesus, the Messiah being born, coming to the social outcasts of the day. And as we've been learning over and over again this week, isn't it really like our God to go to the social outcasts of the day and the least of society with some of the best news? And so to us, when we look at shepherds, we go, what? Shepherds? No family members? A group of shepherds? Why is a group of shepherds the first group that gets the news of the baby Jesus being born and gets to be the baby Jesus' first visitors? And then when you peel back the layers, you go, wow, when it comes to our upside-down God, this actually makes perfect sense. That we have a God who doesn't do things normally, who doesn't do things how we would do them, who does things that are off-script and unexpected and weird and And upside down makes perfect sense to our upside down God to bring a bunch of dirty, weird, reclusive, stinky shepherds to the bedside of Jesus first. Makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense in several ways that Jesus' first visitors would be shepherds because Jesus is the shepherd. First of all, Jesus is the shepherd. It makes perfect sense that shepherds would be the first visitors to baby Jesus because Jesus is the shepherd. When you think of Jesus, especially surrounding his birth, I want a web to unfold in your mind with all sorts of strands that go between Jesus and King David. I want that web to unfold when you hear the name of Jesus, especially connected to his birth. The web that connects Jesus to David. Look at this prophecy that Kirk read for us this morning. My servant David will be their king, and they will have only one shepherd. That one shepherd is Jesus. They will obey my regulations and be careful to keep my decrees. And so Ezekiel is prophesying that this Messiah would reign from the throne of David. He would be an ancestor of David, who would be the shepherd who does the Father's will perfectly. That's what this prophecy in Ezekiel is talking about. And so this prophecy in Ezekiel is already connecting Jesus to David. And remember how David began. David began as a, as a, a, a no-name, low-class shepherd boy in the fields of Bethlehem. And now we have Jesus, the ancestor of David, who is being born 
in Bethlehem. Jesus is a shepherd, and David began as a shepherd, and they both began in Bethlehem. It makes so much sense that God would bring shepherds to the bedside of Jesus as the first visitors because Jesus is the shepherd. And it goes even deeper because Jesus tells us in John 10 10 verse 11 that he is the good shepherd. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd because he shepherds all of us, and he shepherds all of us perfectly because he is willing to pay the ultimate price for the sheep that he loves so much. One of the jobs of the shepherd was to protect their sheep from threats. And so when a wolf shows up, it's their job to protect the sheep against the wolf. And Jesus is saying, I'm willing to go all the way to death to protect my sheep. I'm willing to give up my life for the lives of my sheep whom I love so much. You know, it's, it's believed that those shepherds that were in the fields of Bethlehem on the night that Jesus was born, it's believed that those shepherds were raising sheep to be temple sacrifices. So the shepherds in the fields of Bethlehem were raising a bunch of sheep. And you ask, well, what's all those sheep for? Why would you want a bunch of sheep around? I guess maybe for wool. But they were raising these sheep for temple sacrifices. Many believe that. And it isn't it interesting that Jesus is the good shepherd and he is the good shepherd because he gives up his life for the sheep, but he is also that sheep that is raised for the temple sacrifice. He is the shepherd and he is the sheep because Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who dies for his people, for his sheep. Jesus is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep and he lays down his life for the sheep by becoming the sacrificial lamb who sheds his blood for those sheep. Look with me at 1 Peter 1, 18 to 19. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. So God paid this price to save us. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver because they lose their value. God paid this price for us, but it wasn't paid with gold or silver because gold and silver lose its value. There's inflation, you know, so it loses value over its time. First Peter 1 verse 18, 19 continues. He says, it was paid not with gold or silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus, the sinless, spotless lamb of God. And so Jesus is the good shepherd because he lays down his life for the sheep. And simultaneously, he is the sheep, the sacrificial lamb who dies on that altar in our place so that we don't have to. Isn't this incredible? He is both the shepherd and the sheep simultaneously. The good shepherd who guides his sheep and who lays down his life for the sheep. And simultaneously, he is the lamb that has been raised by those shepherds in Bethlehem to die on the altar in our place. He sheds his blood so we don't have to. He is slain so we don't have to be slain. He is slaughtered so that we don't have to die. He dies in our place as a sacrificial lamb. You following me here? Isn't this incredible? No wonder God brings shepherds to the side of the manger bed as the first visitors. It makes so much sense because his son Jesus is simultaneously the shepherd and the sheep. You getting me? This is critical, folks. This is critical. And you can tell that this gets me fired up. And I like this stuff. But I know that not all of us are Bible nerds like I am. All right? So how does this make me love God more? How does this make me love God more? Because I understand that even though these details and these connections fire me up about Christ, I understand that to all of us, that's not necessarily the case. But how does the fact that a bunch of group of shepherds visit Jesus first make us love God more? Well, first of all, we are sheep, but in a different sense than Jesus. We are sheep, but in a different sense than Jesus. 
Look at Isaiah 53, 6. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, all of our sins. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb who dies in our place. And we are the sheep who stray away from God's path, prompting the sacrificial lamb to give up his life for us. Think of sheep as these dumb animals who really don't know their own way and need a shepherd to herd them, right? <laughs> I was going to tie that to being a, uh, the freshman girls at Hollywood Boulevard, but I feel like that's way too close to that word dumb, so I didn't want to go there, right? But sheep are, I'm told, they're, they're kind of dumb, and they really need a shepherd to guide them in the path their own way, and that they will take any distraction possible to leave the path, or they'll just wander off and go their own way. And I feel like that describes each and every one of us fallen human beings who will take any distraction that we can get to go our own way as opposed to the way that God wants us to go. Because God's way is so often difficult. And how often do we say, nah, this way is much easier. And God's way is the way of self-sacrifice and denial to self and death to sin That's God's way, which is the hard way, the path of sin resistance, temptation resistance, death to that old sinful life. That's the difficult path of God. And how often do we say, you know, I really kind of want this sin, actually. And I want the short-term gratification that this sin will give me, so I'm going to go my own way because I want to gratify myself right now. And I don't want to die to self and die to sin and sacrifice myself and die to that old life of sin. How often does God beckon us in his direction and say, I'm in charge, don't worry, come my way, I got this. But we say, yeah, but that's a lot of risks on that path. And I want the easy way without a risk. I'm just good over here. I'm going to do my own thing, God. How often does God say, I want that corner of your life, and I want to do incredible things with that corner of your life, and I want to clean up the sin in your life, and I want to redeem that, that awful fallen corner of your life. And we say... Nope, that corner's mine. You can have all this, God, but you can't have this. I'm keeping this right here. How often do we go our own way like sheep and get, take any distraction we can to leave God's path and do what we want instead of what God wants for us? And it's that going our own way as wayward sheep that prompts the sacrificial lamb to give up his life for our lives. Isn't that incredible how much our sacrificial lamb loves us to give up his life so that a bunch of wayward sheep can live? Why would our God do that? Because he's upside down. (laughs) That's why our God would do that. We are sheep and we are shepherds, but in a different sense than Jesus. (sighs) That night, Luke 2 verse 8, there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. So picture, I love this image of the shepherds on the hillside because it gives you the image of shepherds being separate from the rest of society, like they often were. They were outside of the town, on the hillside, watching their sheep, separate from society. There was a division between normal culture and normal society and these dirty, gross shepherds who were outcasts out in their fields doing their dirty, gross, cow-inseminating job that nobody wants to do. There is a separation between who shepherds were and who the rest of normal, respectable society was. They were separate They were outcasts. They were out there in the fields instead of in here where everybody else is. 
when Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, they were wayward sheep. And they decided that their own path and their own knowledge was better than God's path and God's knowledge. And they chose to eat the fruit instead of listening to God. They chose their own path as wayward sheep. And when they sinned and brought sin into the world, now we have a separation between God and his people because sinful people cannot dwell with the holy God. And God sends his people out of the Garden of Eden. And Adam and Eve are cast out of God's presence, out into the sinful world where weeds would grow and where childbirth is hard and where there would be violence and death and all sorts of fallen, fallenness. But once sin was brought into the world, you see a separation between God and his people. And so like shepherds, we're out, in the, out on the hillside, out watching their sheep, separate from society. We are out in the fields. We are separated in our sin from our holy God. But what does God do to his dirty, sinful, separated shepherds? What does he do? Ephesians 2.13 says, Now you have been united with Christ Jesus. Once you were far away from God, cast out of his presence, sinful, dirty, gross, separate. But now you have been brought near to him. Through what? Through the blood of the sacrificial lamb who dies in our place. The sacrificial lamb, Jesus, actually brings us gross, dirty, smelly, stinky, sinful shepherds from the fields of Bethlehem into the town and brings him to his very self through the blood of Christ. And so in this sense, it makes perfect sense that shepherds would be the first visitors to the baby Jesus. You know, I like to think that when those shepherds made it into town and when they found that baby in the stable, I like to think that they fell to their knees in worship because they have just been brought to the very crib side of the Messiah himself because of that Messiah and his blood that was shed for those shepherds to bring them from far to near, to bring them from away from God to his very bedside. And what an appropriate response for all of us that when we encounter the baby Jesus, the Messiah who we've been waiting for, the Messiah who will bring us close, the Messiah who gives up his life for our life, the only response is to fall down and worship at this incredible baby child who will save us all. That's the only response. How can you not love a God like that? How can you not love a God like that? 